Welcome to episode 7 of the Going for Broke Outdoors podcast, a podcast by an outdoorsman for other outdoorsmen. I'm your host, Jeremy Gillespie. In today's episode, we welcome Justin Wright. Justin is an incredibly humble guy, but an absolute assassin with the bow and arrow. Justin has been crushing big public land bucks consistently year after year. In this episode, we focus on Justin's approach to getting on mature deer, and we spend a lot of time discussing his bread and butter tactic, which is aggressive in-season scouting. Along the way, we also cover Justin's approach to hunting new properties and making the most of his time on out-of-state hunts, as well as his favorite time to hunt mornings and when he completely avoids a morning hunt. One administrative note before we get started, I did have some technical difficulties while recording this episode, so the volume may be a bit off, along with some other minor irregularities. However, I spent a lot of time cleaning up the audio, and I think the information contained in this episode will absolutely make up for any technical issues. Guys, if you haven't already stopped by Stealth Outdoors at www.stealthoutdoors.com to outfit your mobile hunting setup with some silencing gear, you're really missing out. There's not a better product on the market for eliminating unwanted noise. Stealth Outdoors manufactures an incredibly durable product for a great value. Designed from the ground up with the mobile hunter in mind, Stealth Outdoors manufactures climbing stick wraps, cam buckle covers, platform cable wraps, and stealth strip rolls for all of your miscellaneous silencing needs. Head over to www.stealthoutdoors.com to outfit your mobile hunting setup. Speaking of mobile hunting setups, consider upgrading yours with a set of stick talons from mobilehuntinggear.com. Stick talons offer a way to securely fasten most popular climbing sticks to a variety of mobile hunting tree stands and now saddle platforms. Not only do the stick talons provide secure climbing stick transport to and from your hunting location, they also aid at the tree setups by keeping climbing sticks organized and quiet on your stand while ascending the tree. Mobile Hunting Gear also offers customized solutions for just about any mobile setup. Reach out to mobilehuntinggear.com for a customized quote. Now, on to the podcast. On the phone, I've got Justin Wright. Hey, Justin, how are you doing today? Good, man. Uh, how about yourself? Can't complain. Weather's starting to warm up. Got shed hunting season just around the corner here. Supposed to be uh, mid-40s all next week in Montana, so excited to start getting out there. Yeah, we're uh, we're getting some snow melt as well here. Actually, most of the snow is gone now, so I'm looking forward to hopefully getting out a little bit this weekend and doing some shed hunting and a little scouting. Hopefully. Yep, it's good to shake off the, the dust from the winter and start getting back after it. So, man, I'm excited to have you on as a guest. From what I've seen on the Hunting Beast Forum since you've joined, I'd say you're probably one of the best practitioners of capitalizing on hot sign in season. And that's going to be one of our main focus areas of our conversation today. So, Justin, uh, first of all, let's start out by having you give a little background about yourself. What state or states do you hunt? How long have you been hunting? How were you first introduced to hunting? And were there any defining moments in your hunting career when you realized that you were just plain addicted? Um, yeah, so I grew up, uh, I pretty much have grown up in the woods. My dad and my grandfather um, started me at a real young age, especially my dad. I was out, uh, gosh, before I could even, you know, legally carry a gun, I went with him a little bit. And he was, uh, he was a big scouter back in the day. He was mainly a rifle hunter, but I learned a lot from him, you know, in woodsmanship. And the same with my grandfather. He was a huge uh, outdoorsman. And I mean, I spent time out there, you know, hunting squirrels, rabbits. That was one of my passions growing up. Um, and I really, 
really got into the deer. There was just something that, I don't know, just fascinated me about them. So, uh, you know, took off on that and just have been basically addicted, I guess you would say, from day one on them. Uh, I don't know. I, they just do something for me. But uh, mainly I've grown up and, and hunted in kind of the hills of, of south Missouri, southern Missouri. It's kind of rolling hills around here. Where I grew up, there was actually very, very little to no ag. I actually didn't even hunt around any ag. So it was mainly, you know, the rolling hills, bigger timber, maybe some cattle fields here and there. So it was, it was kind of tough hunting, but I think that, I think that kind of shaped me into, you know, and I'm nothing, I, don't, I still don't think I'm anything special, but I think it, it helped me along the way. You know, it, it was some hard hunting. Um, you had to, I mean, there could be days you'd sit out there and, and not even see a deer. So it shaped me and, and it taught me patience and a lot of trial and error along the way. Well, you know, a lot of, a lot of error. Um, you know, and it just, I, I think it's kind of led me to where I'm at nowadays, I guess you could say. I can't really say as far as defining moments, there was a, so like, I guess it was probably in my late teens. I really got into wanting to kill, you know, a, a good buck. And I had some, uh, I had some bad luck, you know, impatient, uh, rushing shots and, and so on and so forth. But there was one deer in particular. He was a very large deer that came up on me and I, I made a rush shot, getting bad and spent, I think it was a couple days. I know we spent the rest of that day and then we came back later and looked for an entire day, actually, to the point that me and my dad got turned around and uh, barely made it out of the woods before dark that, that day. But, you know, we never found him. And I, I don't know, it, to me, that just ate me alive to lose a deer like that because I just wanted, I wanted that success. I wanted to kind of <laughs> fit in, if you will, you know, with my dad and my grandfather. I wanted their approval and, and just, you know, just wanted to climb that ladder. And it was, uh, it was definitely not a tough, or not an easy thing for me to do. I'm sorry. It was, I don't know, just a lot of mistakes along the way. But, you know, I think you have to make those in order to, to truly learn when to make your moves, you know, and, and what to do, what you can get away with, what you can't. A lot of error. <laughs> a lot of error along the way. Yeah, that's a good segue into the next question. So in preparation for the podcast here, I went back and read a lot of your old posts on the hunting beast. And one of the things that I, read was a post where you're describing your early days of hunting and it sounds like success didn't come easy for you initially i mean you mentioned losing losing that first good buck what drove you to keep trying and keep improving as a hunter during those days and and did you have any breakthrough moments around that time well by nature i'm I'm kind of a competitive person um you know played sports and stuff growing up and i've just been a real competitive person and failure I guess you would say drive me crazy. So when that happened to me losing that deer, um, my family actually was my grandfather and my uh, my dad did bow hunt. So it was that summer I decided to pick up a bow and I got real serious and uh, and got into that. I actually got my dad into it as well. But I just started reading everything I could, you know, of course watching the videos, and then I started scouting more. I started putting more time in the woods. Um, that's probably around the time that I kind of gave up some of the small game hunting too, you know, kind of stopped uh, rabbit hunting and, and squirrel hunting as much as I 
you know, done in the previous years. And I spent more time just, just trying to learn more about, you know, white tails and behavior, learning more about deer. Um, just really hit it hard. So it was, that was definitely a turning point. But prior to that, I had many encounters with bucks. I think there was a six or seven year span there where I just, I mean, it was, it was one bad thing after one bad decision, one bad move, one bad shot. I mean, it was just one thing after another that I did and uh, made so many mistakes. But again, you know, those are, those hard lessons are the ones that stick with me and learn. So I had to make those. And uh, fortunately, I, I learned a little bit along the way. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody that's been bow hunting for any amount of time has got a, a whole closet full of those stories where coulda, shoulda, woulda, or a bunch of almost, and that's just the nature of the game, especially early on, like you said. So that's a, a good segue into the next question. And you've already mentioned mistakes. I think making mistakes, it's an important part of, of the evolution for any successful hunter. What do you think were three of the biggest mistakes you made early on in your career? And what did those mistakes teach you? Did you do anything to correct or overcome those as you evolved as a hunter? Yeah, I, I would say, uh, first off, it would have been over hunting spots. Um, you know, I didn't, of course, I didn't have a great idea of, you know, on white tails and stuff. There was there was definitely literature out there, but it was, and, you know, on DVDs, I, I watched tons of those. But it was all this, and no, nothing against it, but it was all this kind of big private farm hunting stuff. And really, it didn't. It didn't fit what I was hunting. You know, I was hunting public land. Um, basically, everything I ever hunted growing up was uh, there was other hunters that had permission. To so, so it didn't. It didn't fit. You know, there was none of this. You go sit out over a food plot and all that. So, over hunting areas would would be a big one for me. And uh, rushing shots on animals, I would get so nervous, so worked up because I just wanted to kill that animal so bad. And I would, I was notorious for rushing shots, you know, making bad shots, taking bad shots. And that led to numerous bad hits, a lot of tracking. I think, I think I'm really good at tracking because I've had so many bad hits. I've had a lot of experience in, in doing that, you know, down on your hands and knees, crawling, looking for just a, a little prick of, of blood, you know, and, and, uh, and I guess the, the third thing would have been not scouting nearly enough. That was just, I did more of it, but I still not scouting enough and not knowing what to scout for, I guess would have been, you know, good answer for that. Yeah. I think a lot of people out there can relate. That sounds like mistakes that I'm sure a lot of guys have made are still making, making time from making time to time. So while we're on the mistakes topic, let's go the opposite direction. What do you think's the number one thing that's put you on big bucks up to this point? I know it's probably hard to distill it down to one item because there are so many variables, but what's one lesson or tactic that you absolutely wouldn't want to be without today? That would be the scouting. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of hard, like you said, it's kind of hard to nail it down to one um, because one of the most important things, I guess, would be better at, you know, taking better shots, being more patient, um, really spending a lot of time with the bow and stuff too. And cause I mainly bow hunt. I mean, I still rifle hunt here and there, but I mainly 
on in the, in the past few years. And uh, really, you know, getting good with the with the bow is number one. I mean, anybody can can get on the animals, but if you can't uh, can't make a shot, make a good shot, you know, it's really a lot of sleepless nights. So, but that, and then, like I said, not scouting enough. Um, I just didn't put the time in. I didn't, um, and this is, I'm kind of talking, you know, in the early years, I didn't put nearly enough time in. And then I got, I actually got on the beast and I had hunted, um, thickets, you know, I knew to hunt thick stuff, but I didn't know, I knew bedding areas. I knew to get close to that stuff, but I wasn't, there was a lot of stuff on there I learned, I'll say. And then I got so hung up on beds, so hung up on trying to find specific beds and, and stuff like that, that I was looking and searching so hard for that, that I was, I was missing some other pieces, you know, I mean, that's just, that's a small part of the equation, you know, I mean, we, we've got to know so much more, there's so much more to just a bed than, you know, finding that and then going back and, and hunting it. Um, so, you know, there, there's a combination of things. I mean, I could, I could go on and on with that, but, Learning the bow and scouting the, you know, you just asked for one, but I have to say both of those. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned uh, kind of going, swinging the pendulum too far the other way. That's something that, that I know I did as well. I know Ryan Anderson mentioned that. You get on the hunting beast and you learn this and it's like, man, this light bulb goes off. But it takes experience getting out there, seeing, you know, a number of beds and a number of different scenarios. And then, like you said, having that experience to gain the knowledge to to realize, well, that's just a piece, right? The 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 real work starts when you find the bed. That's not the end. That's the beginning. Definitely. Another thing I've noticed about you is you're a super humble guy, and I want to preface this question with that because I'm going to ask you a question that might be difficult for you to answer as a humble guy. What do you think you're doing differently than the guy that's having average results? Because you're you're consistently having above average results. Seems like every year, sometimes multiple bucks a year, multiple states. So, what do you think are the the big things that you're doing different? Well, first off, I, I've probably spent. I, it's hard for me. It's hard. I think so, not too many people would believe the amount of time that I have spent in the woods. So I've probably paid more mistakes than your average guy. And I've been able to learn from those, you know, over the years. So, you know, when you learn from that stuff, I mean, it, it sticks with you. And then you, there's kind of like this, um, you develop like this gut feeling, you know, in, in areas you kind of know, and, and you have to pay attention to that. That's one of the biggest things I have to say. Pay attention to your gut, like, especially if you're a person that spent time out in the woods, made mistakes and all that. That is a, any time that I ever go against that, I did it this year in late season, and I paid for it. I watched the buck come around me, get my wind, and I just beat myself up in the stand for knowing better than to do that. But, yeah, paying attention to that, I guess, like I said, I've made, I've made tons and tons of mistakes. You just you learn so much from those. They're, they hurt. They stick with you. And I feel like I'm pretty good at reading sun. I think I have maybe some different ways of reading sign than, than some guys do and use that, use areas and you, you know, kind of check out stuff the sign. So like I said, I think it would be, I probably just made a lot more mistakes than your average guy will say. Okay. And you said you 
people might not believe how much time you spent in the wood. Give me some context. Let's start, let's say, when you got really serious about bow hunting, you started chasing big bucks. I don't know if you want to put it in hours or, or days or whatever, but how much time were you spending in the woods on average those those years? That was before a family ride, so I had a lot of time back then, and uh, I definitely made use of it. I mean, it was like there for a while. It was kind of like an every weekend, all day long thing out in the woods. Gosh, even days after work and stuff. And I'm talking all year round, even in the summer, I would be out there digging. Just I just couldn't get enough. I, I wanted more. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to find more. I wanted more intel. To put a number on it, you know, that, that would be pretty much impossible for me because I haven't really logged it. But, gosh, I mean, a lot of time. I mean, I have spent a lot of time. It's a little tougher for me now. I'm pretty, you know, it might surprise maybe some guys um, how little time I, I do get now. So I have a, you know, I have a family. I have a wife that is a nurse. She works 12-hour shifts. A lot of days I'm picking up my daughter from school. She's nine years old. She's not able to stay in the house by herself. We don't really have any um, family locally. I mean, the nearest is, is a little, well, around an hour, we'll say, away. Um, and my parents are about two hours away. So it's it's kind of tough. But, you know, all those experiences and all that, you know, that I did in my younger years has definitely helped me now. And I think that, um, like, the in-season scouting stuff is a big thing for me now because, you know, I don't get to cover as much ground as I used to. So I use that uh, to my advantage. And I may have got off your, your specific question, but it's just kind of <laughs> rambling, sorry. No, that's all right. I think from everything that I've read, the guys on the hunting beast that seem to have, like, the you know, the, the top tier type success where they're consistently shooting good bucks every year. That's a, a common thread of notice for sure. At some point, every one of those guys has basically lived at, lived in the woods for some period of their life. And I don't think there's, at least from what I've seen, there's ways to, to shorten that learning curve, but there's no way to completely replace just experience out, outdoors. Correct. Yeah, I think experience is a big key. And that experience builds that, you know, that those gut feelings, those things that stick with you. And, and uh, the more more you have of that, you know, the, the better off you are out there. Because woodsmanship, I think, I think the hunting beast has done a good job on bringing that back to the guys out. You know, and there's a lot of talk on on scouting and stuff nowadays, and, and guys are learning it. But I think that there for a while, I believe that was a dying art. I really do. I mean, so many guys are just, you know, you you throw up a stand, you go back and you hunt it. You don't learn much that way. I'll say that. I would agree. So let's go ahead and get into some of the tactics. One of the things I did here in preparation was I pulled some guys on the hunting beast and a lot of guys were really interested in your approach to locating mature deer. Uh, it seems like every year you not only find big deer, but you manage to put them down as well. So first, can you talk about your process for locating big deer? And then second, how often are you locating these deer in areas that you're already familiar with versus how often are you finding them in a new to you area? Okay. Well, scouting, um, first and foremost, it's, I mean, that's where it all starts. You know, the day that the season is the, the day that the next one begins type thing. You know, I mean, I'm out there scouting. I don't put as much 
emphasis on, I guess, my spring scouting, my off-season scouting as I used to. I use it a little bit more now to try to learn some new areas and whatnot. But I'm still out there, you know, trying to find signs that there was a mature deer in the area that year, you know, and there's a there's a combination of things there that I'm looking for. I mean, it could be from a big rock to big tracks or sign or but I'm digging in new areas a lot this this time of the year. So uh I I use that to my advantage within the thumb. I do run some cameras. I kind of run them and I, I got this tactic from uh or this method of, of using trail cameras. I want to give you credit because definitely wasn't my idea but Joe Elsinger who's another uh, great hunter off the hunting beast. He's a good buddy of mine and I've learned a lot from him and trail cameras. So I've adopted his strategy on that, you know, I'm trying to put him out there and gather all that intel at the end of the year and then try to use it to my advantage the following year, you know, not going to check them, maybe unless I'm, you know, walking through the area, but definitely not going in there every two weeks or even every month and checking those things. And you do gain a lot of, uh, Intel, you get a lot of data. There's a lot to go through there. Some years, I mean, you may you may not catch anything in there, but I think it's a great way to use those. But I, I guess the number one thing for me is, and I'm sure that the guys on the beast have seen that for me. It's it's my in-season scouting, and I am just looking for anything. I mean, it could be, you know, just a, a big fall rub that maybe lets me know that there's one at least coming through there, and I have to. From there, figure out, you know, would he likely be betting anywhere nearby, or is he, you know, most likely coming off private? Um, jumping him, I don't mind to go in and jump a big buck. That doesn't bother me a bit. That is my favorite thing to do, probably, honestly, is to go in in season. I jumped him, he's right there today. Okay, that's where he wants to be, and then figure things out from there, you know. So there's, there's, gosh, there's a, so many different ways, I guess, of, of locating them. Um, glassing, obviously, in the summer and stuff, if, if able to. I mean, I don't live in, you know, farm country. Uh, there's a few areas that, that do. They are, there's some ag around that I can use and, and, you know, do a little bit of glassing. But for the most part, it's uh, it's timber and stuff. So glassing, you know, it, 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 I do use it. I ain't going to say that it's a, it's a big tactic of mine. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, those are the big keys, and, and I'm looking for the big sign. I'm looking for the stuff that probably everybody else is looking for. I don't know, maybe I put a little more thought or had some more experiences with with it, and you know, and figuring out maybe where the big deer are at in the area. Um, <laughs> they're generally not not where you would expect them, anyways. Um, and I, I will say that I found it's probably a fifty fifty anymore because. I'm sure you you know anybody that hunts public land has realized this, but the pressure is going up. So some of the areas that used to do skies are bound, they're in there a little too much. Um, they're putting a little too much pressure on the deer, and those big deer, most of the time, they're not put up with that, so they're moving over onto private. So it's a constant scouting thing for me. Um, you know, I'm constantly out there looking, searching um, in new properties, new areas. Um, I do go through and check areas that I've had previous history with too. So I'd have to say it's a probably a 50-50, I mean, thing for me as far as new new properties and, 
in new areas versus um, you know areas I've had some history with. Okay, got a few follow-up questions based on your answer there. Um, kind of go back to the beginning here of that answer. And you mentioned using trail cameras and leaving them soaked for an entire season. How many cameras are you leaving out on average a year? Um, I think I ran 10 this year, I believe. You've got 10 cameras out, and when do you put them out? When do you pick them up? Uh, usually I'll put them out in August. Um, our season here in Missouri opens up September 15th. So if I can start gathering some uh, intel being, you know, maybe I can use that to my advantage early season the following year. Um, of course, you have that, you know, in deer shed, things shift a lot. And I see that. I definitely see that on my trail cameras. But that's all good intel. If it's in the ag country, farm country, you definitely have to, to take into consideration that, you know, maybe this year this field is beans. Next year it could be corn. And that could change things up you know but but yeah i i run them from about uh august on in through till i picked up my last one i think around the beginning of february actually i'm sorry no i still have one out there and i haven't made it to yet so um it just kind of depends on timing you know usually after the season ends around january 15th i'm i'm out there trying to gather cameras it's just a matter of how much time i have to get to and then once you pick those cameras up and you're looking through the cards, what specifically would stick out to you when you're reviewing those photos? Well, anything close to daylight, anything close, even if it's even if it's an hour before. I mean, if it's a big enough property that I'm working with, and I mean, let's face it, sometimes those big boys are back in their bed an hour you know, before daylight too. But, you know, anything close to that, I'm, I'm really looking at, and I definitely don't go into depth like joe you know i mentioned i i got that from him i definitely don't go into depth like he does uh i wish i did but i i have to admit i don't but i'm looking at weather i'm looking at wind time of the year and that that sort of thing and it's funny how habitual these these animals can be i mean some of them you know i've, I've captured them on camera in an area and ran a camera or two there the following year and, and never seen anything from them you know could have died or, or whatever but a lot of times you will you'll see even if it, even if a big buck does die that area generally the following year as long as most things you know stay the same somewhere around that time frame it seems to light up so that's a great tool for me you know and it's really really starting to shine here the past few years can't say that i've killed a deer yet based on just doing that but i am seeing uh where i think here in the near future that's going to lead to some success for me so yeah i think that's one of the things you start to pick up the more experience you gain is it's not enough just to find a great spot you need to find a great spot and the great time to hunt that great spot do you agree absolutely it's all time i think that's that's where i go back to guys getting so hung up on beds you know on the beast and and i know it's hard for guys like Dan and all them to explain stuff like that into detail because a lot of it, you know, to them is more so common sense because they've done it for so long. But I mean, that bed is a, it's a piece. It's a big, it actually is, a, I guess, a big piece. I'm kind of going against what I said earlier, a small piece, but you have to know when that bed is being used. I mean, that, and sometimes it's only used for, and it could be a week at a time or three, four days, you know, depending on, many factors but there's so much more to 
too distant bad. And that's why I love in season scouting because, you know, I'm moving around and I'm, I'm seeing firsthand right in front of me what it is. Used to, I'd get out of the truck and had a destination in mind. I was going to this spot. Now I get out of the truck and, and I'm hunting. You know, I'm kind of, I'm working my way in. I'm paying attention to everything. I'm not walking past things, trying to get to a specific spot. Um, or very seldom, I'll say, am I doing that? So, again, going back to the, the original question, so we talked about the trail cameras. One of the other things you mentioned in your answer was that if you find good sign, you try to determine if there's bedding nearby. And how are you doing that? Is that all boots on the ground? Are you going back after the fact, looking at aerial maps, some combination? And, like, if you do see that sign, what tips you off that, oh, this is probably where he's bedded at? Um, it depends if it's a property that I've had some history with. Most of the properties that, that I'm on, I mean, I know I'm pretty good. So I know if there's a big boy in an area, likely where he would be. Um, I mean, I go through these new properties that, you know, that I've hunted the past few years anyways, um, pretty thoroughly because sometimes you'll find them in places you just wouldn't dream, you know. But uh, if it's a new property, yeah, if I'll pull up, you know, maps and look on there trying to to see if there's any kind of habitat change you know what the terrain's like uh, gosh there's there's a lot of things there to look for and then it's just you know it's kind of a i guess a game that maybe you take a stab at it and, and sometimes you're right sometimes you're wrong but uh, yeah it's definitely at that point it's definitely pull up a map look see if i can find something that looks maybe favorable you know again habitat change to nasty looking area or something like that or maybe it's there's a creek system there you know that you could be using a like an pole or, or something but yeah and then i'll just kind of move and, and work toward that area and either you know either find something and maybe jump it or, or you know realize that he's probably coming from private you mentioned jumping a buck and that was the last question i had as a follow-up question i think more and more this is a tactic that i've been utilizing too um since i've moved from michigan to montana i think it's absolutely killer out here like i will just walk around purposely try to jump a buck and then set up on it that's how i killed my buck this year and uh i've been hunting in kansas works really well there too so i think that's still surprising to a lot of people so describe your process there let's say you're out you're scouting in season obviously you're looking for sign and you jump a buck that you want to target, break it down. What do you do after that? And when do you come back to hunt? What are you looking for? Um, are you going to hunt that exact area? Are you going to move around? If you are moving around, how do you decide? Like, kind of break down your whole process there. Yeah, so that, that kind of depends on a few things. Um, I guess first off, it would be, you know, how what how did I jump? I mean, did I scare him to death? Or did the deer smell me? I guess his how he leaves out of there tells me a lot. Um, I've had some success um, on killing him coming back in that, that same day. Um, the first time that that really happened to me, I'll be honest, was was kind of accidental. I don't want to make it sound like I I planned that out. I, I jumped the buck, you know, and he took off out of there. And I realized that, you know, he didn't he he didn't smell me. He didn't even see me. I think he just heard me coming up through there, and um, he bounced out of there and I just caught a glimpse of the wreck, which it was a it was a specific deer that I was after. And I just spent a lot of time in there trying to really figure out how I felt he would come back in 
to the bed the following morning. My plan was to to try to do that, you know, the, the popular bump and pump. And I felt like I had pretty good odds of, of doing it. So I spent a lot of time in there, and it was a matter of like 50 minutes, and this thing circles around. <laughs> and he's coming back in, and, you know, and I killed him. And that just really opened my eyes. I mean, that first-hand experience, you can read about a guy doing that. You can, uh, you can hear it. You can even watch it. But until you experience it, man, it just really opens your eyes. I and mean, it really sticks with you. You realize, like, okay, well, this can't work. I mean, it just it works for me here. So I, uh, it, it depends on that. So, you know, how I jump them, how spooked they are. And then from there, I'm trying to figure out, okay, if I didn't, but it's spooky real bad. And let's say it's, you know, early in the afternoon. You know, you got three, four hours before it gets dark. I jumped him up. He didn't smell me. I felt like he just kind of found it off. A lot of times in deer, I mean, they could jump like coyotes, um, you know, whatever, whatever it be. They'll just, I think that a lot of times they run off. They just kind of circle it, circle the bedding area, and they come right back in. So I plan for that. I, I try to set up according to that. And that's hard to explain exactly because, I mean, that's based on what the terrain's like. If it's, a, you know, hilly country, you may come in a different way or if it's, you know, if it's flat um, or, or whatever it be, wherever you're betting at, you know, CRP field, whatever it be. Just have to, again, I think this kind of goes back to some experience that that I've had, you know, here and how they, how they like to come back into areas. Um, so I'm looking at that, and if that if I don't think that's going to work, like if I think he he got my wind or something, then I'm going to look at it for the following, possibly the following morning, or the following evening. If I feel like I can't really get in there without disturbing a bunch of deer the next morning, you know, going in the dark, I'll look more so toward like an evening hunt, try to figure out where he's heading, you know, and try to intercept him on his his travel out of there. I know I don't know if you was wanting a little more specific on that. Um, it's kind of situational, I guess. Terrain and, and stuff comes into play. You know, when the hills are obviously going to try to loop down from get down. Well, anywhere they're at, they're going to try to loop downwind of you. So you kind of have to play that into the situation. This past year, I guess I'll give you an example. I did. I was out searching and scouting in a spot that it's kind of funny. It was actually right along um, a gravel road. Um, that laid into a parking lot there, some public land. And there were some thickets along through there. And I didn't have a lot of time that day, so I just decided to spend some time in through there and walk through and just see, you know, maybe by some random chance, dump something. Honestly, I didn't have a whole lot of confidence, but I did anyway. So I dumped this deer. I get in this little patch of woods and I jump this deer. I didn't get to see him, but he took off out of there and I looked around. There were some pretty good sign in there it's a pretty big sign what kind of sign specifically did you see in there that made you think it was a good buck like rubs scrapes turds tracks well there was uh, there was actually a couple of tracks that i was able to cut and there were some big rubs there were some big sign in there big tall rubs and it just was one of those spots that you're just like this is so crazy but a lot of times when you find them those spots like that you start looking around and you're like it's actually genius. I mean, this deer is literally watching people drive down, you know, and it's another 400-ish yards probably to the where most people park, pull in there, and then they, they wander on out, and they go basically in the opposite direction of where he was. Um, just not many people would stop in this spot and get out, 
maybe if you're rabbit hunting, there's like kind of a green briar thicket, you know, some nasty smaller trees in there and stuff, but just a nasty area. So the way he took off out of there, I felt like I knew, you know, where he was at. He was kind of close to the road. I felt like I knew how he would, would want to leave out of there, where he would be going. So there was some, there was a couple of fields and they're just grass fields. And there was like this ditch with a little tree line that, that led down to it. And it kind of, uh, come to a T. And we'll say, you know, if you could, if he would have went left, he would have let off in the timber and went right. There was a, a patch of persimmon trees down through there. And they were falling. I had seen some on a different property and I just, I knew them from scouting before. They were falling. I felt like that was kind of the direction he was going. That was the direction the sign was eating out of there. So I, I made a game plan to, I, I didn't think I'd be able to get him coming back in there because I didn't know how he would come right back into that patch of woods. I felt like he could get me, you know, because wasn't real big. I just didn't feel confident. So I moved on down the tree line and set up for him like he was still in that bed. I think it was three hours before dark. And he, sure enough, <laughs> so the first deer that comes out of that patch of woods is a, uh, there was a little buck that must have came back in through there. And when I first seen him, he came out through the field down through there that evening. I thought, and there is, there's no way that was the deer that I jumped. There was no way that deer was laying down that side. But he worked on down and he headed off. Um, he actually got my wind and murdered and turned and, and went back up into the timber. So it was getting, you know, close to closing time there. And sure enough, I caught a glimpse of him coming down through there. And I mean, this was close quarters. This little patch of woods was probably, oh gosh, 10-ish yards wide. And I set up, so there were some scrapes and stuff that, that came down along that one edge. And I set up on the opposite side, thinking that would probably be the way he would work. And uh, sure enough, he did. He came down through there. And I think it was like, seven yards or something like that that i shot him in i mean it was really really close and mind you i'm in a, in a saddle setting on the ground i had my feet on the ground i was using the saddle just to and i was using the tree as a smaller tree but it worked to hide me and i think as i got back to full draw just as i came to full draw he looked over at me but. yeah too late at that point yeah so you know I just kind of played it out like that he was still in there because I felt like he would come back in there the way that I bumped him. And I'm sure that that deer in that spot has probably not been spooked out of there in the season because, like I said, most of the guys are not going to – you're not going to go there. It's just there's really no woods there. I mean, there's some fields and stuff that wrapped around it. It's just one of them spots that even I was shocked, really, that he was there, but he was. Like you said, a lot of times these bucks are hiding out in places you wouldn't necessarily expect. and. If no one no one's going there, that's the common theme, right? They they seem to find a way to end up in that empty space. Right. Yeah, they definitely do. Like they can shock you sometimes. I got two follow up questions there. So going back to you're out there, you're scouting, and you jump a buck. How much time do you spend in that immediate area after you jump a buck? Are you just standing there looking around? Do you walk around and scout? Are you there five minutes, half hour? And what kind of information are you trying to gain in, you know, those immediate moments afterwards? So the, that one I was talking about that was kind of accidental that came back in, I spent, and I know this because I was after that deer, right? And he was in a different bedding area prior to that. Well, I'd hunted it a couple of times and you know, he, he never showed, he never came out of there. 
so I, it was a rainy day and I just decided to, to kind of dive in there just to see if I could jump him up. So I go in there and there was uh <laughs> there was a sign of another hunter in there and this guy had been up and down this tree. He was using a climbing stand, literally ripped the bark off the tree, and he was right in the bedding area. But there was some a couple good rubs in there. I don't know, he probably didn't know he was hunting right in the bedding area. And about ten yards from his tree or from the stand, he had a trail camera. So I knew then and there that, you know, the deer had relocated. So I was just kind of scouting along looking for this thing hoping to hoping that he hadn't moved off on the private because i was working pretty close to the private anyways where he was bedded up um so i checked this ridge this knob and uh that's again where he was jumped him up out of there so i texted my dad when i jumped him i said i just jumped him and it was uh it was 50 minutes pretty much when he came back in there i shot him and after he ran off i tried to listen you know listen to where he went and then immediately I pulled out my phone and I texted my dad and I said I just shot him and it was a 50 minute span there that that deer had made that loop are we talking uh what one five or five zero five zero 50 minutes okay yeah, one, five zero yeah almost an hour so yeah he he came back in there but you know a lot of times it'll it varies I do spend a lot of time in there I like to visualize like how I think a deer would come through how I think that a big deer would would use an area, you know, the more experience you get with them, you kind of see how they move um, through some terrain and stuff. So I, I do, I definitely visualize that, just trying to think about how the deer are coming through there. And I'll stay there as long as I feel like I need to, to be honest with you. There's no, no real set time with that. I mean, I've spent, I know, you know, an hour in spots and sometimes I'll jump them up and realize maybe the deer smelled me or, or something like that. I'll look it over, and if I feel like that I, you know, have the, the pieces I need, I'll, I'll scoot on out of there and try to come back the, the next day or, or whenever I can. You know, some spots I've been in there as little as probably 15 minutes. There was a deer that I jumped. And I don't know 100% sure that it was a deer that I ended up killing this year in Illinois, but I jumped up. What I thought was a pretty good deer based on some, again, some rubs around there. Some big, big rubs, actually. And I jumped him out of there. I didn't get to see the deer, but he took off. He sounded like a horse running through the woods, you know. You could hear the antlers smacking off the, the small trees and, and the brush and whatnot. So, again, I didn't see him, but I realized pretty quickly he got my wind um, and got out of there. So I didn't spend a whole lot of time in there. I uh, made a loop around it, figured out how I thought he might be coming in there and uh, killed him. I guess that was two or three days later i can't remember exactly it was something like that two or three days later coming back over there so and again i don't know 100 percent sure but that deer was heading toward that bedding area i assumed it was him yeah and i asked that question because i kind of had a feeling your answer might be along those lines myself especially early on if i jumped a deer one i thought that was the end of the world and two i thought i needed to get out of that area right away and, and not contaminate it but the more experience I've gained, one, I realize, well, it's not the end of the world now. And if anything, that's a that's a great sign that, to me, that's one of the best things I can see scouting now as, as a target deer, even if I did spook them. And second, spend some time in there, right? Like you said, visualize, evaluate, pick out a good tree, or if it's not in that immediate area, you know, maybe within a 100-yard radius. If there's a trail going out, it's got his tracks on it. Spend a little bit of time in there. 
and then and then get back in there uh, immediately. And I want to ask you one question. Going back to the buck you were talking about, where there was the guy with the climber in there and the camera, when you relocated that deer, how far was it from that bedding area? Probably about uh, 300 yards, I would say. Yeah, where he relocated to was up on this knob. Actually, where he was at, the guy, if he took, and I'm sure he did, he took, he probably came walking right down this field and through there. So that deer most likely could have seen him. And in some, I mean, this was, this was an earlier season hunt. I think I killed him toward the end of September, uh, maybe September 25th or something like that. But so there was still a lot of foliage on, but he was set up in a, in a way that he could have possibly have seen that guy or, or most likely even heard him, you know, where, where he passed through the front of the deer down in that field you know, up onto that knob was probably about a 150 yard stand, but I still think that he was, you know, probably could have seen or heard that that guy and it may not have been that far, but yeah, where he was at and where he relocated, you know, bedding would have been about a 300 yard stand. Yeah. And that's been my experience. Well, I guess in an area that has decent bedding options, semi nearby, let's say 300 yards to, you know, half mile, eight, eight, 900 yards. But those deer usually don't go too far. I mean, they know that area. No, man, that's their home, their home area there. They're not going to. I used to believe all that stuff, too. I mean, I used to think, gosh, some deer fell for one. Well, it's over with. I'll never see that deer again, you know, and it's probably two miles over or whatever, you know, and that's just such. That's not true. That's not. I don't believe that for a second. Maybe in some areas that happened. I got a buddy uh, that lives up north or whatever that told me that, you know, and then smaller patches of woods and in michigan actually um you jump a deer and he's able to run two miles to the next patch of woods or, or whatever you know he'll get out of there because it's smaller you're dealing with smaller size uh chunks of woods you know so i get that but where i'm at there's a lot of timber there is mag and stuff around on some of these properties i hunt but they don't have to run like that you know they can relocate a couple hundred yards and and i don't think they they want to get away from that area, you know, it's kept them, especially if it's an old mature deer, I mean, it's kept them alive to, to the age they're at um, now. So, you know, they know it and they know how to use it. And I, I just don't think you're going to run them out of there. You can. I mean, I definitely, that's why it's it's hard to, to say some of this stuff because I know that guys are thinking, man, I'm going to, I'm going to try that this year, you know, and they go out there and they jump them and you you don't get many chances after that. I mean, you, you pull around in there two months, he comes back another day, he busts you, you don't see him, you think, well, maybe he didn't show this day, you hunt another day, he didn't show. Then all of a sudden you're telling yourself, like, yeah, this, thing, this doesn't work, you know. I mean, you have to, there's a lot more to it, I'll say. There's just a lot of thought process that goes into that. Some luck, sure, there's definitely some luck that goes into it. But uh, you can't just, aimlessly wander around trying to jump deer and, and then think yeah, you got it no i'd agree and and maybe this is something that you're doing but when i'm going out to scout to jump a deer and a lot of the reason i've been doing that out west is because i'm kind of starting over from square one right i had a big bunch of properties built up in michigan where i knew the the areas pretty well and had a good idea where the bedding areas out here i don't and i don't have enough time to scout all these areas or they're they're far away from where i live so one of the things I'm doing is is purposely walking, you know, wind to face. Like you said, I think you have a lot better odds of that deer coming back if you 
if he just hears you or, or sight jumps as opposed to smelling you. So that's a tactic that I'm purposely trying to employ is, is coming in from downwind. And then another thing, I think you hit the nail on the head, at least again, in my experience is you better have a real good idea what you're going to do after that, because you're probably only going to get one or maybe two chances uh, if you're lucky after you jump that deer. So you, it, it's kind of a high risk, high reward strategy for sure. Oh, for sure it is. And I, I definitely wouldn't say or tell guys to make that the number one tactic because I think you're going to booger up a lot of property. And I hope the guys don't do that because if everybody is something public, they start doing that. We're not going to have any mature deer running around on them. So, you know, you just have to be smart about it. It's definitely, it definitely can work to your favor and don't get, you know, the biggest thing is don't get discouraged if you are out scouting and, and that happens, you know I mean? Look at it, look it over, visualize, pay attention to any and every bit of sign, walk around the bedding area, you know I mean? Spend some time in there, figure it out. And hopefully if you do that, hopefully you can jump right back in the following morning or something. I still think, you know, I've, I've had him come back in. I think a lot of guys think, well, if you're not back in there the next day and he comes in and he smells you, you know, that's game over. Eh, I don't think so. I've seen it to where they'll come back in there. Sure, I'm, I'm sure that bothers them a little bit. But, you know, I've come back in to spots. I've done that a week later and that deer be right in there, you know, and have success of killing or or he gets by me or something. You know, I see him, he was in there. But, yeah, I think you can get away sometimes anyways. I think you can get away with, with a little more than, than maybe what guys would believe and then sure there's the deer have personalities I, i'm certain that some of them i've you know, never came back you know never came maybe back into that area that specific area he might have been close and i just did you know relocating or something one final question on uh jumping deer and you've had success with this tactic uh a few times at least that i know of has there been any time of the year where You've had more success, for example, early season, pre-rut, rut, late season. Is there any time where you think that seems to work better than another time of the year? Early season. To me, 100% early season because those deer haven't been jacked with as much. So they're, I think they're a little more, they tolerate maybe a little bit more. I mean, a mature deer, let's face it, they're not going to tolerate much. But early season has been, for me, the most successful time for that, that you know, for that to play out. I think because of a few different reasons, possibly, if, you know, there's more foliage on that time of the year, you can get a little bit closer to the deer before they see you, if they don't hear you and, and boger out of there. So you have a better chance of, of possibly even seeing them when they get up and, and jump and get out of there, you know. So early season, uh, 100% for me is uh, when I favor that tactic more. Now, don't get me wrong, I'll scout aggressively all through the season, but I've definitely had my success with that more so in uh, the early season. Yeah, and I asked that question, and and I kind of thought, without ever asking you that prior, that that might be your answer. And I want to tie that into something I learned. Well, I had uh, Dwayne Diefenbach. He's the, the research biologist from Penn State University on the podcast a few episodes ago. And all the GPS collar study, the, the early season – bucks you know up until i think it was about the second week of october was when they really started moving around prior to that those deer are holding tight to a really small area that's generally got food water and cover and like you said those deer especially if they're an older mature buck they've probably lived in that area or an area like that 
for several years and i think it is hard to bump them out of there like you said you can definitely do it but one time in my experience usually isn't enough i mean of course there's exceptions but it seems like early season is uh, a great time to employ that tactic because it just seems to work and i want to go back to something you said too you don't necessarily <laughs> you don't want to be going out there and bumping every single deer on purpose it shouldn't shouldn't be the number one tactic but if you don't have a lead on one from you know other types of scouting or cameras or, or whatever glassing and you're getting out in the field and trying to locate a deer and you, and you do bump one that's a great time to employ that tactic i think right yeah yeah that's interesting on the uh the collar study stuff i uh i agree i mean that's from my experience so i've definitely seen I don't know. It seems like they, you know, they'll come back into those areas, especially in the early season. Um, I think, you know, any time of the year, though, that the deer where he's at is is obviously. I mean, it's been pulled by several uh, good hunters, but I think, you know, that's where they want to be. I mean, they've they've used those areas before, most likely, and and they know it. It's kept them alive. And you can't tell me, or I don't believe, anyways, that there's not been predators that have not jumped those deer in that area. Um, and they just make a little loop and they come right back into it. That's my thoughts anyways. <laughs> All right. Well, we talked a lot about uh, in-season scouting here. And I guess that's probably at least how I think about scouting. That's that's the last phase. So I want to back up and ask you, one, how much cyber scouting do you do? And what are you looking for when you're reading like an aerial or a topo map? Give me an idea. Let's say I'm a new hunter. What what are you looking for? Someone that's experienced. What's jumping out at you? Uh, areas that get you excited on a map, you know, aerial or topo. Okay, so I'm you know I again I hunt some hills uh, around here. They're more so like rolling hills. Um, I do hunt Illinois too, uh, and it's that is much much deeper terrain over there. So terrain features. It depends on time of the year too, but I'm always looking at terrain and how. You know, ridges kind of run together, um, saddles, uh, probably the stuff that most of your guys are, are looking for. And a lot of times, too, uh, you know, said this before, but like your saddles and your in your hills and stuff like that, sometimes the best ones are the ones that don't show up. But as far as cyber scouting goes, yeah, I'm looking for green um, habitat edges and uh, kind of the overall size of the property and, and what the parking in and around that property looks like so if it's a property that you know there's many different access points i'm probably going to overlook it i'm probably just going to not waste my time on it because uh, again i don't have a lot of time to, to scout new properties now i mean i do most of that this time of the year but i'm also trying to catch up on some things i've neglected during the hunting season as i'm sure you know and, and probably anybody knows but uh yeah that's that's the main things I'm looking for, terrain, habitat edges, overall size of the property, and kind of what the parking and stuff looks like. Um, also, if I can get away from populated areas. So I live in a pretty big town, we'll call it. There's some guys, you know, that that are definitely watching the uh, stuff out there on YouTube now and, and hunting most of this local public. So I think if you could venture further out away from the, the high populated areas, you've got, you stand a better chance. They're going to have less pressure on them. Okay, let's talk about terrain. And one of the things that I've found interesting in these first couple episodes of podcast is a lot of guys have mentioned hunting areas that are absent of 
what you think of a traditional sign, let's say rubs and scrapes. So are there any instances where, let's say you cyber scout an area and you identify some train features, you get in there and there's not a ton of that type of sign. Are you still going to hunt? And if so, why? Or if not, why not? For me, honestly, probably not. Just because I don't have... Now, I definitely, without a doubt, there's definitely properties that I go through, and even my in-season scout and stuff, that I go through and I don't see the sign I'm looking for and I write it off. And I'm sure I know that I've passed through some areas that have held big deer. Because, I mean, let's face it, they there's very few of those out there. They definitely don't lay down the majority of the sign. I've heard many a times that your mature deer are the ones that rub up the woods. I personally don't believe that. I don't. Maybe on some where they have some, you know, competition. There's multiple big deer, but I, they just don't lay down as much sign. And I don't know if it's because honestly, there just aren't as many of them. They don't have the competition, so they don't have to. But I, I've got to have something. I've got to have. There's got to be some. I, if that heat cut a track, big track, if I don't see a big tall rub that leads me to believe there, there's a big one there, or you know, have a siding of one or something like that. Or scrape that has a big track in it. Yeah, I'm I'm probably not going to waste my time just because I don't have a lot of it, you know. So for me, I, I'll probably move on and try to find something that that shows me or tells me that there is at least you know a big deer coming through there at some point. Okay, one more follow up question to that would be: Let's say you get in this area, and <clears throat> and I think I'll I'll let you define the size of the area and your answer, but. Let's say you've cyber scouted a couple good terrain features on a piece that, that's newer to you, and you get in there. How close do you need to find sign to that terrain feature to hunt it? Is that 100 yards, you know, 100 acres, a half mile? What's, what's the threshold for you? I, I mean, I, I know this is probably highly situational, but on average, what would you say where you're going to say, yep, there's enough sign to hunt this terrain feature, or, or no, I'm moving on? Um, so like, uh, you know, we'll just take a, a ridge system that offers, you know, a lot of good bedding. In other words, it has a lot of, uh, say a lot of secondary points that comes off of it. It offers a lot of good bedding. I mean, I, I hope to at least find some sign if I don't find it right on those secondary points in the bottoms, you know, where the deer, a lot of times they'll drop down off into those bottoms and they'll cross through them. You know, if I don't find immediate sign, like, there or down in the bottoms or maybe even you know i may even scout a little bit up on the the, uh, the opposite ridge side and see if i can't cut something but for me it has to be pretty close because if i spent too much time wandering around outside of that area i i would waste a lot of time and sure again if i had more time i mean i would definitely my threshold would definitely be a lot larger than what it is now but generally you know three four hundred yards if I can give it if I have to give a number and it will say you know something something like that maybe a little further uh, just trying to find something some kind of sign that tells me that there might be a mature deer working to use in that area yeah and feel free to agree or disagree here but I feel like at this point when you've got more you know the experience that you've got you know at some point in season you're going to find an area like that 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 meets that criteria so if you're in an area that doesn't just keep moving until you find one of those, right? Right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Because I mean, I've, there is some big, 
chunks of land around. I mean, some of them are the nearest property to me is is about uh, forty. I think it's about forty minutes from me, and then most of the stuff I hunt is a little over an hour. Um, and then there's some bigger chunks of property that's about two minutes. So, okay, so if I can get the time, I mean, I, I've got property to work with around. So, yeah, I, I just write those areas off. All right. Well, we covered kind of what you look for cyber scouting, and we've touched on in-season scouting quite a bit. What are you doing in the spring, let's say, this time of year to to green up? Let's say, you know, I don't know what it is down there, middle of April, first part of May. What are you looking for, and how are you going to translate that into your approach in the fall? Well, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm really dialing in on uh, learning more about, like, the bedding areas, um, maybe even the bedding areas that, that I already know. Let's face it, I mean, uh, there's pressure that's climbing on these properties, you know, pretty heavily. So, and I'm seeing more and more tree stands, like permanent tree stands popping up, looking for ribbons, caps, any kind of, anything like that, that that shows me or tells me that a guy's probably been walking through there because I've seen big deer stay in those areas, even with that pressure coming in there. And they just work around them. They work around those stands. I mean, they're masters at figuring people out, especially if you, you know, if you're habitual about your ways of coming in and your access and stuff like that, it's, it doesn't take them long to figure that out. Sometimes I'm sure they, they move on, but I've seen it enough that they, you know, they'll stay in those areas. So I'm trying to learn a little bit about that to see if there's some new pressure, you know, that's came in on those, those spots. And I'm also using this time of the year, uh, I think I said it earlier, but, you know, learning new properties is, is a big thing for me. Learning new properties and learning some new areas on some of these pieces that I've been on, uh, or not necessarily learning, but doing some pass-throughs to see if maybe the deer have shifted, you know, the big deer have shifted around. So I have seen that, seen where they'll shift over a ridge system or two uh, based on some pressure and and whatnot, or maybe, you know, the acres were better over here. This There's a better mass crop over here or something. Whatever it be, think it anymore, you have to kind of just stay on top of that stuff. So I'm, I'm using that. Again, I'm, I'm looking at hunter sign is a big thing for me on properties I know. Definitely checking that out. I'm marking it on my maps and then trying to figure out from there how the big deer are working around them. Because a lot of times I think they do that. You know, they work around them. Either they're set up in a manner that they can watch that hunter access that, or they're looping well downwind of it, um, or cutting access trail, you know, or, or whatever it be. So those are kind of the, the main things I'm looking at, you know. And of course, I'm I'm going back through and checking out bedding areas to see, maybe even bedding areas I hunted to see if there's any sign of anything in there. All right, trying to find out what was active during the season if maybe you didn't get to hunt that area or, or trying to right yeah right exactly okay well i think we you know we covered now cyber scouting off-season scouting in-season scouting which i think we're going to talk about that a little more but i want to move on to hunting out of state and it seems like there's a few guys out there man wherever they go stuff just dies and i think you're in that category so you mentioned hunting illinois i believe you funded uh Arkansas before. So I want to hear your approach when you're going out of state on, let's talk about specifically a completely new property. Are you doing anything differently than when you've already have history on a property? 
Yeah. So like if I if, say like you mean like if I'm going to hunt it and I haven't been on it at all, I haven't done any uh, previous scouting. Yeah. Let's say maybe you've cyber scouted, but no boots on the ground. Yeah, that's where I'm. I'm pretty aggressive. Uh, that's where I'm going, and I'm, I'm basically I'm still hunting. You know, I'll, I will still hunt through some areas, especially if I think it's like if I find something on the map that I really think that there might be a good possibility that there you know, could be a good deer in there. I'll take my time at that area, or if I'm I'm moving along at a decent pace, and all of a sudden I you know I start running into some big time, and I'll slow down from there and. And really, you know, I'm looking at the maps and trying to figure out possibly where that deer could be, uh, what the train looks like around there. But yeah, I, I will stay on foot. I used to, uh, I've done it a little bit in the passing ways. You know, you go to a new property and you look at a train feature and you just jump in on the stand and, and stuff. And I can't do that now. It's driving, that would drive crazy to do something like that. So I'm definitely moving. I'm definitely scouting along, looking. You know, looking at new spots, trying to find uh, any sign, basically, that would show me or tell me that a big deer is in the area, you know, aggressively moving, trying to jump them is the main tactic that I'm doing when I'm hitting a new property. So, let's say you're going to hunt a 1,000-acre property, just to throw a number out, and you've picked out maybe three or four train features or, you know, something on the area that stuck out to you. The first day or two, even when you get there, you're on foot then, and you're just you're moving train feature to train feature. Oh, I'm definitely staying on foot. Like this year, uh, there was a kind of a uh, opportunity that popped up for me. Uh, a good buddy told me about this property and uh, in Illinois, and it was a it was a couple hour drive for me, but uh, felt like it was worth it, you know. And it was it was receiving a lot of pressure there. But I, you know, I, I want to get on it and see. There was, I, there was definitely some mature deer there. So I stayed on foot the entire time, pretty much until that day that I, you know, told you where I jumped the big deer. I did get in the saddle that, I don't know if it was two days or so later, two or three days later when I killed him coming back in here. But um, I stayed on foot that whole time. And I, I'll be honest, I had some close opportunities. I mean, I ran across several deer and was able to slip up and get close through back on on one actually um but yeah i'm definitely staying on foot i'm staying on foot i'm either looking to jump on or i'm looking for that that real fresh hot sign you know that's that's the main thing whether that be tracks you know maybe some big rubs or, or something like that. but i like to stay on foot it's hard for me to set the stand anymore <laughs> especially on a new property when you're on foot i assume i mean you talked about still hunting a little bit you're not moving at a constant pace, right? I think maybe that's a mistake uh, that I've made previously is is I really try to dial into like the hunting mindset now, right? Move, stay in the shadows, stop by cover, glass a lot. Like what's your approach when you're moving through a property like this and, and like you said, on foot? Well, yeah, I, I'm, sometimes I am moving fast, I'll be honest. Um, sometimes I'm, like if I feel like it, you know, it's an area like say I'm going through some open timber or something like that. You know, I'm I'm probably going to move fairly quickly toward some type of uh, habitat edge or you know maybe some frame features or whatever. But uh, you know, I'm generally I'll move quickly through them areas uh, because you know if you if you don't move 
at a decent pace, you're not going to cover enough ground up to maybe up your odds to uh, to run into a deer. And again, I'm not scared to, to bump them up. Even if I bump them up and that deer smells me, at least I know, okay, there's one here, you know. So now I'm in the game from there. I have to, you know, try to put the rest of the puzzle together. What you might do, throw it back in here or whatever. But yeah, um, if I'm coming up to some areas that like an edge, like uh, we'll just say like a clear cut edge or something, I will slow down and I'll do, like you said, I'm staying in the shadows. It's a big thing. I can tell you do a little bit of that because that's definitely a big key to, to still hunting. Staying in the shadows, you know, no fast movements, using, using your glass, uh, just moving along it. And I'm trying to, you know, look for multiple things. I'm looking for deer and I'm also trying to look up ahead to see if I can spot signs, you know, fresh sign that do there. Um, and then working toward that. You know, so it's uh, it's a combination. I mean, I move fast in certain areas, and I definitely slow down less if I feel, you know, again, it goes back to that gut feeling. But if I get that that feeling, that sense that there could possibly be a big deer here, I'll, I'll slow down a lot. Sometimes moving very, very little. So, yeah, it, it varies. No, I think you definitely made some good points there. So we're talking about going in blind to a new property and you've obviously had at this point in your career a bunch of experience at that looking back what do you think some of the mistakes that you've made personally and then I guess I know you're on the forum quite a bit what do you think are some of the more common mistakes people are making when they're going in blind like at this point in your career what are you doing different than maybe you were five years ago definitely in the past it would have been not not moving enough I would go in blind and I would find a you know, terrain teacher, or I may even just go in, you know, and find a big rub or something like that and just kind of randomly set up on it, hoping that, you know, there was a, a decent deer around or uh, even cutting a, you know, a track or something like that along, cutting across a ditch and, and set up there and just in hopes of, you know, a big deer going up, jumping into terrain or something like that. But I think that that again would probably be mistakes that maybe your average guy or you know is making um finding something like that finding sign and just kind of randomly setting up on it without really thinking or knowing much more you know to the puzzle so i mean there's definitely times i see hot sign and i'll slow way down and i may even hunt it but i i'm pretty confident when i do that that deer's probably close whether that's you know what whatever these three that would offer good bedding or I know there's a clear cut right over here that you'd be bedding up next to or, or something like that. But for me just to find something and then jump on it, jump on post anymore, I, I won't do that. I, I feel like you can waste a lot of time doing that because, you know, a big deer could be coming from a mile away or something, you know, and that's kind of, that would also depend on time of the year. So I don't think in the early season, I know the deer do travel, but if I find hot slot like, sign like that, then I'm a little more confident, you know, that the deer could possibly be a little bit closer. Now you get into the stages of the rut, you know, as we all know, that deer could be who knows where right. uh, coming from. So, yeah, I would say, I would say just randomly setting up and not maybe gathering enough uh, pieces of the puzzle there. Okay. Now that's a, that's a really good point to be made, I think. For sure. The next question here, this came off the hunting beast, and I was curious as well. 
So you're shooting, you know, one, two, three, I think one year you got five bucks, right? You're shooting usually several good bucks a year. How often are you in the area where you're seeing a target buck? Are you also seeing like younger bucks or does? Are these areas where you're finding these bigger bucks? Is there, are they hanging out by themselves? Or are you passing a lot of younger deer before you're encountering these bigger, bigger bucks? Okay, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, that would be based on the, the property. So like in the farm country and stuff, some of those of timberns, you know, they're not quite as big as like, um, you know, like Sam and Mark Twain, where there's thousands upon thousands of acres of, uh, just, you know, vast timber. And I've got some, some local properties like that too. And some of the stuff I hunt in Illinois, there's just thousands of acres of just timber. So like if it's farm country, I have seen the, the big mature bucks in and around areas where there are some subordinate bucks, you know, some smaller deer and even those in and around there. And a lot of times it's funny in, in some of them areas like that, it's almost like they set up in a manner that they use those other deer to protect them. So they're definitely hard to get in on. That was one of the big shockers for me when I came up and hunting more of the big timber, you know, that, yeah, you could find the bigger deer maybe a little easier because you, you know, use tracks in the field, blasting, um, a little easier to figure out maybe which direction they were traveling to. But man, beating the other deer, um, coming out of the bedding area as well was, was tough. You know, I was getting busted by some of them subordinate bucks. So. And you're talking about in farm country now? You're saying that's more of a challenge? Yeah, it was a different challenge. It seemed like I could locate them quicker and easier. But it was definitely, I couldn't just find him. Okay, he's traveling out this way, and boom, set up right here. You know, I had to had to take into account how all the other deer were moving in that area. So you have to pay attention to that. Um, but in the bigger timber and stuff, it it seemed like they were more solitary animals. I think that's why they're harder to find because they there's just not a whole lot of deer signs generally in some of the areas where they're at. And you know, you can walk right past a ridge that a mature deer is living on, there may not be, there may not be any sign, you know, he may not lay down any sign on that ridge, he may lay down a ridge or two over where there's some does or some, some food that he's working for, you know, so it's, it's definitely, there's challenges in both, you know, I think there, uh, I can't say that one is harder than the other. I will say, I think in the bigger timber, it's, it's a little harder to locate. Thanks for that explanation. That, that makes sense. I think that makes a lot of sense. I want to move on to a post that you did on the hunting beast, Ryan Anderson there for a while locked down. He was doing a Q and a series with uh, some of the more popular members. And one of the things you talked about was finding beds in the postseason, and then locating areas that were likely to concentrate buck movement and using those areas of concentrated movement to kind of spot check in season for big buck activity. So, First of all, can you describe one of those areas um, or, or the types of areas or terrain features that would concentrate movement um, near a bedding area? And then how do you go about spot checking those in season? And I think this is maybe one of the ways that you're, you're finding active areas without contaminating the area before you hunt it. So I think that was interesting observation. And if you could just explain that whole uh, process a little bit. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of different ways there. So like one of them would be, you know, you get into that steeper stuff, especially in Illinois, 
those big bucks, like they're crossing, you know, several spots where they're crossing ditches and uh, drainages and stuff like that. You know, they're leaving out of bedding area and they're going down, they're crossing through this ditch and he peeks over this secondary point here and, you know, side hill in it and he crosses through another one. So if I feel like I can find one of those, find his tracks going through there and then, you know, it's at a safe distance to where, you know, the wind's not going to, he's not going to get my wind, he's not. I gotta see your cell or anything, and I can slip up into that and just check it, you know. And sure, there's sometimes that I'm he's probably maybe cutting a little further down or something, or I just or he just skips over, he jumps it, and I don't catch the track or something. But at least when I'm scouting through there and I see that, you know, bam, I know okay, well, that deer's in here using now because there's fresh sign right there. Could be a scrape in a spot outside of a bedding area every year, you know, that may be at a safe distance or, uh, uh, you know, some rubs, cluster rubs or something or an area of rubs that he opens up when he's in that area, you know, checking uh, those. And the, one of the biggest things I've used to my advantage in doing that is like field edges. So like if a buck's bedding, he could be bedding, you know, several hundred yards away, but he's working toward that field edge. And they generally have a way about coming out the field. I mean, most of the time, the big boys will come out, you know, in the lowest spot of the field. I think they do catch the thermals and stuff falling down through there, and they do come out of those. So you can generally go to those if there's a big one around and search around there and find his tracks. And that is, that's led to several kills um, over the years, being able to do that, to go in and check those edges like that. Cause you know, a lot of times, I mean, that deer's far enough away from that field that you're safe if you go and check it. And then if you find that sign there, then, you know, hopefully you know the bedding area well enough to get in there, slip in, and, and catch him coming out of there. And like I said, I've had a, I've had a lot of success with, with doing that. So. Appreciate that explanation, because I think that's one of the areas guys hear about in-season scouting, and they're confused. Or maybe they don't have a tactic to say, all right, I want to get in there and I want to see if the sign's there, but I don't know how to do it without getting right in the bedding area. And I think you provided some good examples there of, of how you can check areas from a safe distance, um, assuming you already have a good idea where the bedding area or areas are at and you can, you know, you can find that hot sign. Yeah, I think that's one of the things like in scouting, if, if guys can maybe think about that, you know, think about, Okay, well, I found the bed. It looks like, you know, based on maybe rubs or something or, or trails on whatever, um, that he's he's working toward this way or if there's, you know, some ag down in there, he most likely he's working toward that way. You know, and then try to get outside of that and, and find sign that he's laying down in between that area and the, and the field. Or even down in the field, if you go down in there and you can, you know, you're you're pretty good with tracks and stuff. That's, that's tough because... You know, it's been preached a lot, and it's very true. There are definitely mature deer that, that don't have a big uh, track always on them. But I think the majority of the time, they, they stand out. There's just not many of those animals. They stand out, whether the track's getting a little further or if you can watch how they walk. You know, their stride is definitely longer than your average deer. So learning tracks is a big one. I mean, person learns tracks. That, I can cheer up your odds on killing mature deer. I have to say that. Yeah, and you brought up a good point there. I think sometimes people get micro-focused on the size of the track, but stride length and 
stride width too. Like the front end of a mature buck is much wider than a doe. So if you see the bigger the bigger tracks quite a bit wider than the smaller tracks and a set of tracks, then you you can make a good guess that that's a, a wider chested deer, which is probably a buck. Right, exactly. Yeah, there's there's definitely several things there you have to take into consideration. Just seeing one big track, I mean, I that deer has to. I have to know that deer is walking, that doe running or even just trotting a little bit can can be very deceiving. One of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was morning hunts. So on the hunting beast, especially, we all know Dan is a big fan of the afternoon hunts. But I've read uh, somewhere in, in one of your previous posts that you actually prefer morning hunts. And one of the first questions I had about hunting mornings is, are you ever going in blind on a morning hunt? Um, if I am, I'm going in after daylight. No, I just won't randomly go in and set up uh, a line on an area. Now I will go in and kind of you know do my still hunting through or, or whatever but no i'm definitely not going to go set up a line on a on a spot in the morning and uh you know hope or whatever that, that one comes through i just there's i think morning hunts are i love them i mean if you know if you can figure out how that deer's coming in there and you got all the pieces of the puzzle right your access is absolutely huge on morning hunts um, it's huge on all hunts, but it, it's a big thing. You have to you have to make sure you're not crossing over the way he's coming back in there. But if I know that, I mean, I love I love the mornings and stuff. I'm a morning person, anyways. But no, I, I won't go in there blind and, and just set up. I'll go in after daylight and I'll work through the area. It's almost like you knew what the next question was going to be, and that's what kind of area do you look for for an ideal morning setup? And how would a morning setup for you differ from an evening hunt? Well, uh, like on a morning hunt, I mean, obviously it's, you know, bedding area, um, getting close to the bedding area, in close tight to the bedding area. Um, so that's what, that's what I'm looking for. I have to know, too, that there's one in there, whether that's I jump in more, you know, some fresh sign or something around here. And then a, a lot of times, I mean, you can find those spots, you can find a big mature deer and, and you can find that bedding area and you can look at it and you're just like, yeah, there ain't no way I can't hunt this. So you have to know that that you can hunt it. Don't go in there and pollute it and mess the spot up when you'd have better odds on hunting the evening of a deer getting out of there. Let me stop here right there real quick. What would be some signs that you couldn't successfully hunt in the morning? What type of areas in the past have you found out? Well, it looks like I could get away with a morning hunt, but I now I realize I can't. Okay, yeah, like drainages and stuff. A lot of times these big deer will come in, do like a draw or a drainage down through there, and maybe you think you can manipulate the wind. And I don't know how many times I've been I've been busted a lot over the years trying to do that. Um, they catch them falling thermals. I mean, let's face it, they're masters at, at getting in there and doing that. So you have to really pay attention to that. I mean. Oftentimes, on some of the you know hunts I have been successful on in the mornings, I mean, it was a matter of just that deer getting a few more steps, and boom, the, it was game over for me. So that that hunt in Illinois, that deer I killed um, in the morning this year, coming back through there, he was a matter of about ten maybe yards max, and it would have been game over for me where I shot him. I mean, he would have got downwind of me, and a lot of times you almost have to. You almost have to set up like that, it seems, for me anyways, from what I've found, 
that uh, you, you hopefully you can kill them before they you know get to that point. Hopefully, no other deer come through there. So yeah, they they just use you know again I'm in hills. They use those drainages so so well that uh, they're hard to beat a lot of times. So you're gonna avoid, if I understand correctly, you're gonna avoid an area where you anticipate a buck coming from low up a drainage and where you'd have to set up higher on a side hill or maybe on the top of a ridge. That's not a, a good morning setup then, correct? Yeah, unless there's, a, say, like a real, real deep ditch down in the bottom and you can set up in a manner to where you, maybe you can get yourself to kind of fall off down in that and carry. But I'll be honest, I haven't had any success doing that. I know some guys, I think, that have, pull that off um but i haven't personally had any experience with that but i would definitely try that um if i felt like that ditch was you know if there's a big deep ditch and i felt like i could get right on top of it maybe the deer's running right alongside of it which they like to do a lot of times coming in the mornings um and i could get my sleep ball up in there or if you you know because they're not running probably miles of the drainage if you can figure out where he's kind of dipping off or crossing the ridge and coming down into that drainage and then circling and hooking and going up you know to the bedding area um i have seen that before and found that where they'll come off of a you know a point and that leads down into the bottom and they kind of loop and they head up toward the bedding area uh, if you can figure that out and get below that then, uh, then you're golden you know so and a lot of times in a rut too sometimes the deer i love late october Seems like the big boys are on their feet later in the mornings. You know, they're out checking the does, or maybe they bed up in a, in a different spot and they wait, uh, you know, a couple hours, let the does filter back in, and then they cut through and they check the scrape, check the trails, um, and they'll, they'll work back in there. So, a lot of times that time of the year, I feel like you can get away with a little more. You can, you know, sometimes the deer are coming in there when the thermals are, are rising, the sun's up, and stuff. So, I love that time of year for, for morning hunts. That's a, a great segue into the next question is, are there any times of the year that you'll totally avoid a morning hunt or what kind of conditions? Um, let's say you have an area that you know works well for a morning hunt under certain conditions. Are there times of the year or conditions that you'll avoid? I'll be honest with you. I, I, won't, I won't hunt an area like that on a full moon. I've just... I'm not a real big moon guy and all that. I definitely believe there are some, you know, the overhead stuff and all that. But from my experience with a full moon, those deer are back in their bedding areas well before daylight. Um, they make it, they do definitely, or I've seen anyways, them get up and move, you know, later in the mornings and stuff. But yeah, I, I won't hunt no matter what time of year it is, a bedding area early in the morning on a full moon. Um, in later season, I don't know, I've had, I don't know that I've had any success really in the mornings on here. Um, I could be missing one or two, but I don't like mornings so much in the late season. It just seems like those deer again are kind of, kind of back in their bedding areas a lot of time. Unless you've had some weather, you know, or something that, that may have kept them out later or something, you know, like it rained on up in the late that evening so the deer were a little bit later getting up and going about their ways on their, their feeding cycle you know and maybe they'd be a little late coming back in but yeah I, I don't care much for doing it late season and uh full moons okay no that's good information i uh 
the full moon thing. I, I'm not a big moon guy, but I I think there is some uh, secondary impact from from some of the moon stuff. So you know, I've I think time of the year, temperature, that stuff is usually the primary factor. But I I don't totally discount uh, the moon having some secondary effect. So that's news to me and and something I'm going to pay a little more attention to going forward. Yeah, I've definitely seen it, man. I've seen, I mean, trail cameras, uh, experiences out there. Just, I mean, there is, I don't know, it, it would be, I'm a firm believer in the, in the moon, as far as the full moon and stuff, that them deer just, I don't know, they're just back in their bedding areas early, it seems. You know, that's my experience. I mean, I mean, it may not be that way everywhere, but at least from what I've seen, and I believe. I want to move on now to, um, first time sits one of the big tenets of the hunting beast is you know first time sits mobile hunting so are there any circumstances where you'll hunt the same area let's say back-to-back days or a morning then an evening or maybe you hunt it and then two days later you're back or three days later and if so how do you decide to either hunt the same tree or maybe hunt a different tree in the same immediate area Oh, uh, yeah, first sets are definitely where it's at, you know, as far as me and, and the majority of my kills, looking back on that, uh, it's definitely been most of the time uh, the first set. But, yeah, I will, and I have, hunt a spot multiple times. I'll say multiple. I, I very seldom do three times anymore now. I used to, but, uh, you know, if you set an area that, that has a, a lot of deer movement through it uh, and you set it, three times or so i mean you can you can walk you can definitely see the deer movement the windows for the most part if you're in an area that many times and deer have figured it out if i feel like i've hunted in an area the deer didn't show maybe for whatever reason i felt like i got in and out of there clean i will come back to it but i will shift how i hunt that area um i'm just going to make an assumption you know that that deer came through and and smelt me and you know realized i was in that area so i'm probably going to move downwind of that tree that i was in and how far downwind will kind of depend on the terrain if it's a you know a ridge system or something like that i mean only drop just a, a little way below it maybe 50 60 yards or something you know or if it's flatter and the deer could, could look farther maybe you could be seen you know i, I don't know it, it, that's kind of depends on a couple of different factors there but i'll definitely move um downwind of that tree okay so you're taking a an educated guess based on the terrain somewhere between i mean again this is general but somewhere between 30 and 150 yards downwind depending on terrain yeah right most of the time i would i would say you know 70 ish yards or so within that that range to the tree but yeah i mean it could be as far as 150 yards if it was flat and maybe open or something you know or their next train uh habitat edge i mean is is that far down yeah i could definitely see it moving that you know circling down through there so man you've uh you've given a lot of great information up to this point we're kind of coming into the last few questions i have for you here and, and this is another question from the hunting beast and i think these stories almost always are, are useful or like you said, making mistakes is where you learn some of the best lessons. So can you give us a story of a specific buck that got away 
And what did you take away from that experience? Yeah, sure. I chased one uh, on that deer kicked my butt. <laughs> I chased one a few years ago. I think it was, it had to be probably 15, 16, so, somewhere around in that time, uh, maybe in 17. But he was, I chased this deer. He was a big old mature buck. Uh, several guys knew about the deer. I was getting a few pictures from some other buddies that knew some guys that were hunting out there and they were sending pictures and like, look what I got, you know, got on this camera. And I had already kind of knew about the deer. I found a shit the year prior and found both of them. And he was living in a, in a spot that, you know, he was just able to really manipulate this spot. Like there was, there was really no way now that I look back on it that, that I felt like I could, I ain't gonna say he was unkillable because he definitely was. And I would like to have that, uh, chance over again. But the way he used this area was just, it was a blossom. It was kind of like a bowl shaped. So it was a big ridge system that, that made, you know, the shape of a bowl. And he was betting on these secondary points that, that jutted down off into this. And a lot of these secondary points fell off this ridge system so far down that, you know, at the bottom of it, it was pretty steep that they may have only been 40, 50 yards apart with some of them. He would just bounce depending on the wind back and forth on those. And I know that because I went in there and I busted him out one day and I dropped the trail camera down in that bottom. I caught him, I think it was that same day or the next day, cutting right down through there. He came right back in. But I've seen that deer. Um, this is one of the deer that surprised me how often he came back in there. But I think he just, he, this is a heavily, heavily uh, pressured property. And I think he just realized that, you know, he, that spot had kept him alive. I mean, he was definitely five plus years old. And I hunted him and seen him probably five times, I think I'd seen him. And every time he just, the way he would come back in, you know, through these saddles and stuff, I'd set up on a saddle where I'd seen some sign of him crossing. The way he'd come back in, he'd bust me. Um, the way he would leave out of there, he would drop down off into that bottom in the evenings. Let all the thermals pull up down in there, like you know, you could smell everything around there, and he would just stand down there in that bottom. I mean, just literally stand up and just just wouldn't come out of there. Every hunt, it seemed like no matter where I was at or what I thought I had on him, he just used that spot so well, you know, it kept him alive. But uh, I learned a lot from that deer. I just learned that it seemed like I would I would make a move, and then he, you know, had smelt me or whatever and figured me out, so then he would. You know, he would play off of that. And I even tried to play off of some of my, my sets and stuff. And he just, I don't know, he was just always one step ahead of me. Uh, but what I did learn is on a heavily piece or heavily pressured piece of property like that, that sometimes those big deer, they find spots like that. And man, you, you, they'll come back to them a lot more than a person thinks. Um, that one shocked me at how much he came back and used that area. Um, again, I know he busted me a couple of times. One day I went in there and kicked him completely out of there just so I could look at the spot a little bit better and hope to find and figure it out. But he kept using it. Um, and I don't know what happened to him. I never heard of anybody killing him the following year. There was no sign of him in there. So maybe I, I maybe I put enough pressure on him. Uh, there was actually a couple stands that popped up, not in the bowl, but close to it. But, uh, he never showed back up. So. But yeah, I learned a lot from that deer. I just learned, you know, how well they use their 
their areas, especially a big mature deer. Uh, I did learn, I seen it firsthand, how they'll drop down in the bottoms, let the thermal pull up down in there. That was a big eye-opener to me. Again, you can read all this stuff. You can watch videos on it. When you firsthand experience, I mean, it, that stuff sticks with you, and you're like, okay, yeah, that's what they do. And, and just how he was able to to pick me apart, you know, no matter where I was set up the following hunt, he, he worked off of it. He was able to move far enough downwind or circle in in a way, come in in a way that no matter where I was at, basically, you know, he was going to catch my wind. So just the master of terrain. With that said, you said you wish you had another crack at him. Knowing what you know about that deer now, let's assume you knew all that information. What would you do different going back? Well, I think, honestly, one of the things I would try to do is uh, <laughs> is have a buddy uh, go in there with me. Because the way I jumped that deer out of there, I mean, that was the way. I'm pretty sure if he jumped him out of this area, that's that's where he's going to go. There's a saddle up through there that crossed over and led into a real thick, nasty thicket right there on the other side of the ridge. He would just dive off into that. So if I, even with a bow, I think, you know, because... When I busted him out of there, I came off the other side of the ridge. He was on the, the far side of it. And uh, on the opposite side, I'm sorry, of the ridge. And I uh, busted him, and he just kind of, he jumped up. You know, he ran up to the top of the point there uh, that he was bedding on. And stood there, looked back, and then he just kind of trotted up over and off this ridge. So had I been, you know, sitting on the other side of that, over there, I'm sure once he crossed over and got close to that big stuff, he slowed down. I think he could have got a shot. So that would definitely be a tactic. I would not be opposed to trying having a buddy, you know, and take him in there and have him do just as I did there and spook him out of there and try to be on the other side. And I say that just for that deer, that's that's not a way that I would enjoy killing a deer. I like to outsmart him and stuff, but that deer drove me crazy. So I would definitely, <laughs> I would definitely do that on that deer. All right, two more questions here. So you've obviously had a lot of success, killed a lot of really good deer, but I think uh, good hunters are always evolving. Are there any areas of your game that you feel you still need to improve upon? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, essentially everything. I mean, but cyber scouting, I don't think that I'm, I don't know, maybe patient enough with that to, to really dig as deep sometimes as I need to on properties. Um, I just, I like to have, you know, I like to get on them and dig, but I do look hard, you know, in there and try to find areas of interest, but I, I can definitely improve on, on cyber scouting. Um, different terrains, you know, I have not had a whole lot of experience with like, uh, more of the flatlands and stuff. Something I hope to get here in the, in the near future as my daughter gets older and I'm able to get away a little bit more and do some more hunts traveling. Um, yeah, different terrain. Uh, like I said, I grew up in, in the hills and stuff. I have a lot of experience with hills, but uh, I've got into some river bottom stuff over in Illinois. That's that's kind of a different ball game. And I just love learning new terrain and how deer use it, you know, especially mature deer. Uh, it's kind of fascinating to me. So maybe patience on some of this stuff. You know, some of these areas, I'm a very aggressive guy on hunting. You know, I, I probably dig a little too deep and hard on some of this stuff. And, maybe could slow down a little bit but you know that's a balancing act with time too so yeah i'd, I'd say those would be i mean i, I could use improvement on, on any and everything for sure I, I definitely don't feel like i have anything figured out uh, have a lot more to learn 
a lot of hard lessons to to uh and mistakes to make yet you know i'm sure yeah it seems like it no matter how long you've been doing it that goes hand in hand with bow hunting there's uh always something to learn or some frustration to be had for sure well hey i want to thank you again really appreciate your time i'm going to turn it over to you and if you have any uh last words of wisdom or topics we didn't cover or you know things that you'd like to convey to to guys that are striving to have your level of success uh floors open to you gosh i think we covered a lot of it just you know don't get discouraged with it i know a lot of guys you know you read stuff on the forums and you see certain guys having success every year and you try to maybe mimic those tactics that doesn't always work for everybody you know find definitely need to find out your style what your strong points are and, and what works for you maybe uh you know, there, there's definitely more than, than one way to skin the cat, I'll say. So don't just hear about, uh, you know, this successful guy and try to mimic his tactic and just, you know, keep, keep going at it. I mean, there's, we all hunt different terrain, we all hunt different deer, uh, different pressured areas and stuff. So figure your deer out and, uh, you know, learn how to kill them. I mean, what I do may not work in some areas. I guess that'd be about all I have to say. Just stay at it. There's a lot to learn. Like I said, I've been in the woods all my life, essentially. I've spent my childhood all the way up to I'm 37 now. So a lot of years in the woods and a lot of uh, hard lessons. So, and I don't think there's any way to, to skip over that stuff. I mean, I think you have to make those mistakes in order to grow as a hunter. You know, there's no shortcuts in this game. For sure. Well, hey, Justin, uh, I know everyone's busy these days. So again, thanks for your time. I think there's a lot of good takeaways from this episode and look forward to following along with you this fall. Good luck. And hopefully at some point we can have you back on again. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks. I, uh, I enjoyed it. And uh, good luck to you too. And we'll stay in touch. All right, man. Take care. Thanks. Thank you.